0: All right, community of faith, how are we doing this morning? Yeah, good to hear you. If you're online, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning also. We're talking about hope for your children today. Hope for your children. It's a big one. And so even if you don't have kids yet, I want you to listen. This applies to a lot of relationships, but we're focusing it down on our kids. You know, several decades ago, I won't say how many. When I first started out in ministry, uh, I was a student pastor. I wasn't a very good student pastor, but I was a student pastor first. And, um, you know, I had this amazing sermon that I would preach called 10 Surefire Strategies to Raise Great Kids. And then I got my own kids. You know, Laura and I get married and, and had kids. And so my kids are small and I changed it to 10 Pretty Good Strategies to Raise Great Kids And then my kids became teenagers, and I changed it to 10 feeble suggestions from a fellow struggler. And now my kids are all adults, and I just changed the name of the sermon to, your kids are going to need therapy, get over it. <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about our kids. They're so precious to us, and some of you right now are really, really fearful for your kids let's talk about some of this i want to why did god give us these kids what's going on with that why why did he design it this way parents and children and and all of that i want you to look at a a few things from the from scripture the some of the ideas that scripture puts out there one is each child is a, a puzzle given specifically to you by god and what what God wants you to do is, next thing, study them, use God's tools to unlock their hearts and their hidden potential. Now, if you have more than one child, you know that each child is unique, right? I mean, I had David first, Laura and I had David and, and, and then Sarah's born and they're total opposite and then Ashley's born and I think, well, she's gotta be somewhere in the middle. No, she's opposite too. How does that work? I don't know, but it's like a triangle, you know? And I, I, some of the, sometimes the, the, the parents that I have the hardest time with are the ones that only had one kid and he's a compliant or she's a compliant kid, right? Because I just wanna say to them, why don't you just take my sister's oldest kid for about an hour and you will find out, I mean, he came out of the womb, you know, chomping on a cigar saying, I dare you to make me do anything, right? And some of you, that's the only kid you got, so you feel like a total failure as a parent. But kids are all different and you have to treat them differently. You unlock their potential differently. In fact, you don't motivate them the same way. You don't discipline them. The same way, raising a child, it it is a lot like hugging a cactus. I think this is a really good way to look at it, okay? It it is, I mean, you know, how do you hug a cactus? Well, you study your little cactus, right? And and you see, you you learn what's the prickly side of the little cactus, right? And then when you're gonna hug that cactus, I mean, you go slow and, and, and with so much care, and you just, I mean, you can pull it into your chest It's still gonna hurt a little bit, right? But you learn how to do it because you've studied it. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I learned in traditional church that that meant if you will just bring your kid to church, even if it's really boring, and have them in church every single week, then when they get really old, maybe on their deathbed, They're going to come back to God, even if they go way off, because they're going to go way off first, and then they're going to turn around and come back. That's not what this is saying, okay? This is not a promise. It's a proverb. It's in Proverbs, okay? And it's a proverb. It's a wise saying. And if you break it down in the original language, the Hebrew, what it says is, if you will raise up a child as you study them, if you raise them up and keeping with their temperament, their original kind of bent on life, their personality, their their way of of seeing things, if you will raise them up based on who they are, not who you are, when they're old, they're gonna be, and old just means when they have a hair on their chin, okay? Hopefully not the girls, but you know, when when they do that, it's gonna be like, they're going to, walk well they're going to understand life in keeping with his or her individuality temperament my son David is a poet now I don't know where he got that because I am not a poet I never profess to be a poet I try to write poetry it's not that good I don't think but um Laura tells me it's good (laughs) because she's really sweet um but David, I mean, he is like a world-renowned poet now. He told me it's when he was seven he was gonna be a poet. And I said, Well, that's good. You can also be an athlete, an athletic poet. And he wasn't into that. You know, and, and so he signed him up for soccer when he's five and just has his hands. He's got some little pants with pockets. I didn't even know you could get soccer pants with pockets, but he had pockets and he's running around with his hands in his pockets, you know, looking at flowers, writing thinking poetry. One guy asked me, he says, where's your kid out there? I said, oh, I can't see him right now. I don't know. But, you know, I'm trying to raise him up in my image, and God's going, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, I made him to be a poet. Now, when he's a teenager, he's writing these amazing poems with tremendous angst, and I'm going like, oh, Lord, you know, it's all about death and all this stuff, you know, And it's, but it's amazing, but I'm thinking, he's going to need, like, serious counseling or something, you know, and... But now he's a world-renowned poet. He wins all these prizes and stuff, you know? He called me up a while back and he said, hey, dad, I got $500 this week on my poetry. And I said, well, that's nice. He goes, no, you don't understand. That's like $100,000 if you were doing something else. And I said, well, he's gonna be a poor poet, you know? But he loves it and he's thriving in it. Now, my granddaughter Zoe, she's a little different. She's five now and... I don't know exactly what she's going to be, but she was singing a cute little song. Sarah, her mom, sent it to me, and she was just in her little five-year-old voice. She was singing, everyone do what I say forever. (laughs) I don't know how you help her with that, but it's like you are going to be the best dictator ever (laughs) in the world. You know, I don't know, but... (laughs) <laughs> and then little Owen, he's three now, and there's, he and Zoe are speculating in the backseat of the car who started COVID. They want to know why they have to wear these masks, and Owen said, yeah, who was coughing and sneezing and flinging boogers? I want to know. I think he's going to be a scientist because he's figured it out how it all started, you know. The Bible says homes are built on a foundation of understanding of wisdom and understanding. Just as a woodworker works with the grain to do the most amazing woodwork, you're gonna have to work with the grain of the wood. You have to understand, work with the temperament of your child. God gave you that unique child on purpose. Did you know that? To you, you're going, thanks God. Why did I get this one? Because he knew that that child needed you. No one else could raise that child. See, there are no accidental babies. Now there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. God is sovereign over all of it. Each one that's born, he knows. And so God gave you that unique child. Embrace that as a gift from God. But there's a key there. You got to be authentic. You might want to write that down. Be authentic. See, your child is studying you as you're studying them, psychologists call it mirroring. They're mirroring you, you know, and and it's amazing. They're just like, I I know what that feels like even as an adult, because that's what missionaries do. And Laura and I were missionaries in Mexico City. And Laura is so good at this language. Everybody said, are you, are you Mexican? You know, stuff like that. They never, one guy said, are you Russian? You know, and I said, I'm speaking Spanish, dude, you know. Um, But I couldn't speak that well, and I couldn't understand everything that was going on, and so I just would mirror people, and I was mirroring everybody, and they'd tell a joke, and everybody's laughing. I'm going, (laughs) and they say, get it, Mark? I go, no. One guy, Craig, in Mexico City, he was like me. He was mirroring, and he, when he went to church, he couldn't understand anything that was going on in Spanish, so he would just mirror the guy sitting next to him, and So when the guy stood up, he would stand up. He's done this for several services now. And so he's sitting by this one particular guy and, and, and he was doing great all through the service. But then all of a sudden the guy stood up. So he stood up and he looked around and they're the only two standing up and everybody's clapping. And the guy went like that. And so Craig went, you know. And one of the missionaries afterwards came up to him. and goes, dude, that was not good. He said, the pastor just said, the Gutierrez family had a new baby boy this week. The mom's still in the hospital, but the father's here today. Would you stand up? Hey, he said, I thought that guy looked at me really funny, but it's mirroring and that's what they do. Okay. And so they're learning from you all the time. Be authentic. I want to, I want to talk about six tools just real quickly that God has given us to anchor our children in times of chaos. Six tools. Now, this applies to other relationships too. So if you don't have kids, you can look at that. But I'm telling you, this is so important for your kids. Number one, affirmation. Affirmation. Affirm their uniqueness. It's like I said with David, we tend to put out signals as parents, you need to be like me. And they don't need to be like you. God forbid for some of them, that, you know, I know you. Don't let them be like you, Right? But there's one of you, and God broke the mold, and let that be the case. Here's the thing. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. You might want to write that down. Rules minus relationship. How do you deal with your children on a day-to-day basis with the issues of life? If your first response is to enforce the rules, to correct the behavior, to fix The problem, you may be prodding your child, especially your teenager, into a relational disconnect. Now, I'm not saying don't do these things. Those are important things to do. But you have to do all of those things preceded by, enveloped by, just a loving care and concern in which you identify with them in their world, in their feelings. Let me just give you a real quick example, Father, your teenage daughter breaks up with her boyfriend. She's devastated. She's crying, and you just look at her and go, I never liked that boy anyway. Is that helpful? It's true, but is it helpful? You know, and and maybe mom, you say, well, you know, you're just 15. You don't know anything about love yet. There are many fish in the sea. There will be someone else come along in about a week because I know you. Is that helpful? I mean, all of those things might be true, but... What about, oh, girl, I'm so sorry. It hurts so much to see you hurting. Cry with her if you need to. And then you can walk off and say, I never liked that boy anyway, but don't say it to her, okay? And and here's the thing. We look at Jesus, that's what he does. Aren't you glad he does that for us? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Why did God cry? Because he's at his friend's house who just died and he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He knows that already, but he's looking around and everyone is crying. His sisters are just bawling their eyes out. They miss him and it just grabs his heart. And so he cries with them. Jesus cried with you last night. He saw every tear and he didn't sit there and go like, yeah, you'll get over it. Well, you know, I'm perfecting you, right? You know, uh, this problem is just, it's going to be, he doesn't, he's not a explainer, you know? He just cried with you. Aren't you glad that he does that? Doesn't that mean something? You see, it's important that we do that with our kids. Affirmation gives a sense of life to them, of realness. The opposite of affirmation is exasperation, just to give you, an example, and you might want to jot this verse down and look at it later. Ephesians 6.4 says, fathers, fathers, speak speaks fathers for some reason. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now in this day of COVID, we kind of will get this really easily. Aspirate, what does that mean? To breathe, exasperate, to take breath from, to knock the wind out of. Fathers, don't take the breath away from your children. Fathers, don't knock the wind out of your children. Exasperate. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. When they're happy, be happy with them. If they're sad, share their sorrow, the Apostle Paul said in Romans. Second tool, acceptance, acceptance. You really need to write this down. This is a big one. Separate acceptance from performance. Can you do that? Separate acceptance from performance. A lot of you didn't grow up in houses that did that well, and you still feel that. You got this performance-based acceptance thing going on, and so you pass that on down to your kids. There's some sort of bar that you remember growing up that you could never quite, you never quite got to. it. It kind of reminds me of like going to, to Disneyland or Disney World, you know, and you're so pumped and excited about being on the ride. You're just a little bitty kid, right? But you're going to ride one of those big ones. And you get up there and there's a, somebody up there, there's a little thing up there with it. You got to be this tall, right? And it has all the inches and stuff. And you aren't that tall. You don't measure up and you're devastated. That's some of your homes. Don't measure up. You didn't make it. You're not accepted here. This is not what, I mean, if you want to make it here, this is what it takes. Remember feeling that? Don't do that to your kids. You just love your kids. That doesn't mean that you don't deal with performance. You do, but it's not the same thing. You know, one of the most depressing times of year for our teenagers when report cards come out because they not only got to deal with the school, but they got to deal with you and the things that you say. You're never gonna to amount to anything. You keep making C's in that class. You know, you don't learn this, blah, 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 blah. And one of the things I wanna encourage you is just let natural consequences roll out. One of the great things as parents that we can do is we can always use, nat- you know, there's a lot of natural consequences at school. If you're not homeschooling them, you have to do the consequences there. But if, you're, if they're in school, private or public, There's some natural consequences. If you make an F, you will be in the same grade again the next year. And some of you are going, yeah, but my son would be 17 years old in third grade. Well, you know, that's on you. That bothers you more than, you know, let him deal with the consequences. But see, a lot of us will just step right over and we'll just be all in their face. I want them to succeed. There's something better you could do, pray, pray, pray like crazy and let the school deal with those consequences. You know, they don't get to play ball if they make certain grades or they don't get to do this. I mean, there's so many things that that fold out from that. I remember when I brought home my report cards, my parents, they would say, hey, you made an A, that's great. Oh, hey, you made a B, good. Hey, you made a C, did you try your best? Yeah, I really tried my best. I don't think I'm very good at math. Well, that's fine then. And I don't see that like any of us, we, it wasn't like, well, he's a bum on the street now because he made a C in math. I did take ideas in mathematics at Baylor with all the football players. That was, uh, and we all sat there and go, we had an idea in mathematics once. Can't remember what it was, you know, but you look at that and you're, you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. See, wh- my daughter, Sarah, she had to make straight A's all the time. And I told her one time, if you make a D, we'll have a D party. Well, I knew she couldn't do it because that's not her temperament. Now, another one of my kids goes, I'll di-. I said, no, not you. <laughs> We'd be having too many parties. Um, <laughs> we'll do the opposite for you, right? Acceptance gives a sense of worth, a sense of worth. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. When did he accept you? When you got yourself all cleaned up. I'm gonna get myself all cleaned up. No, when you were a sinner, he died for you. And he said, come just like you are and I will make a difference in your life. Have you ever said to your kid, you know what, I love having you around. You are so funny. Or how about, I love your enthusiasm, not, wow, that was an enthusiastic mess, you know. You are so creative. I love, look at how you painted the walls. (laughs) We're gonna cover that up, but look at it right now, you know. In fact, you're going to cover it up, but does your teenager know that you like them? Do you like them? Accept them unconditionally. Josh McDowell was a guy who traveled all over the country, and he had a message of purity to high school and college students, and he was a pastor. And one day he said to his 13-year-old daughter, Kelly, he said, honey, if you got pregnant, Can you imagine what your dad would go through because of my message on sexual purity? The media would have a field day and half my church would probably leave. And Kelly said, I know, dad. And then he said this, but Kelly, I need you to know something. I want you to always remember something. If you ever did get pregnant, I wouldn't care at all what any of those people thought. I would turn my back on them, but I will never turn my back on you, we would walk through it together. And she just jumped in his arms and hugged him up tight. That's unconditional acceptance. Some of you are going like, well, I bet she got pregnant then because she's ready. No, that's a whole different feel. Daddy loves me. No matter what I do, my daddy loves me. Number three next tool appreciation appreciation and write this down appreciate effort more than accomplishment and appreciate worth more than effort see that's what god does with us i mean do you think that you're doing something great for god right now you know can you imagine you're a soloist and you're going like i just sing a great song for god you know and god's got messengers of fire that their whole body is made to produce music. And I mean, it probably, you don't sound anything like that, you know? But he still loves it, why? Because you're his little girl or his little boy. And you hear these guys up here and they're singing great and you're out there going, "Ah," you know? And he goes, listen, I want you, I mean, did you hear Garrick singing? It was good, Garrick, it was so good. And I was going, that was terrible. You know, God's going, no, it's good. Because he was singing to me. Appreciation. Uh, King David, he wanted to build the temple so bad for God. And he started gathering all the stuff. He's going to build this great temple for God. And through the prophet, God comes to him and says, David, you're not going to build the temple. Because you're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. I'm going to have your son Solomon build the temple. And David's crestfallen. But then God says something amazing. But it. It's good that it was in your heart. I love your heart. I love your heart. My sister's really good at that. One of her older ones was having a lot of trouble at one point and she just said, but his heart is so good. Look at his heart. She would always see that. She would always look at that. And as he's come back to God in a powerful way, I think that was part of the the key. Appreciation gives a sense of significance. Even God said, this is my son whom I love. I am very pleased with him. I've got an assignment for you, okay? Parents, here's your assignment. I want you to find at least one thing every day this week that you can appreciate about your child and catch them doing something right, okay? You're good at catching them doing something wrong. Some of you are experts at that. You know why? Because you did it, right? And you already know all the tricks. But here's the thing. Catch them doing something right and compliment them on that. Applaud effort more than accomplishments. Just a caution. If your teenager doesn't feel 100% accepted by you, then praise just feels manipulative. So let's make sure that you go back a couple of tools and look at that, make sure it's real. Number four, affection. 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 Another tool that God has given us to put life into our kids. Affection is verbal and physical. When was the last time you looked at your kid and said, You add so much joy to my life? Dads, you know, we're really hesitant to like even touch our, our little daughters, you know, as they get older. And I, I know there's a lot of junk out there, a lot of stuff, but it's important. I don't know what I did with my girls when they were just like two, three years old. I started rubbing their little feet at night sometimes when they would go to bed because they love foot rubs. They would just go, oh, dad, rub my foot again. And then when they're teenagers and, you know, they come in from school and pull off their shoes and adolescent stinky feet and uh, they would just throw them in my lap. Like, hey, dad, you know, rub my feet. But I think it was important. My brother Brent, he was one of those kids that he don't like. To, he was a real cactus. You know, I don't like to be touched. But my mom figured out if she would scratch his back at night, he would like that. You know, he just went like a cat, you know. And she did that every night. And it made a huge impact. He's one of the most loving, lovable guys now, a huggy. And I think it came from that, honestly. All your kids are asking is, am I lovable? And if you don't show them, they're going to look for it outside their home. Affection gives a sense of solidity, a sense of groundedness. The Bible says, let us love one another for love is from God. Number five, availability. Availability. I hate this myth they call quality time. There's no such thing really. Quality time can only come from quantity time. But we have this thing that if I can just give my kid quality time, you know, Cornell University did a study. They attached little microphones to kids and they monitored them for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they found that in America, the average father spends on a per day basis 37.7 seconds with their kids. 37.7 seconds. And all this media... That's hitting them from all these different directions, and their peers, and everybody else. It really came home to me in Mexico City again when Ashley was just a, my youngest. She's just small, five, six, seven years old, and 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 she's learning how to ride a bike. And there was not a lot of place in a lot of Mexico City to learn. But we finally moved to this one place where there's a little more space. You live inside these big gated you know, communities, because it's not safe out there, you know, in the big city. So um, she's asking me to come out, but I'm working on my doctorate at the time. I'm getting a doctorate in counseling. It's real important to me. And Ashley's real important to me. But she says, daddy, come out and help me because I told her I would. And I said, honey, hang on. I'm doing this paper. Daddy, come out. I want to ride my bike. Uh, Hang on. Probably like 10 times she said that. I said, I'll be there in just a minute. Hang on. And then her friend comes running in and goes, oh, hurry, Ashley took off on her bike. She didn't mean to, but she couldn't stop. And it goes went all the way down the hill and she crashed into the gate and she busted all her front teeth out. And I remember on the way to the hospital, she's in Laura's lap. Laura's got bloody, you know, cloths and everything around her. And I'm rushing her to the hospital and she just looks up with those little eyes and goes, daddy, where were you? And I said, you can call me Dr. Shook. Did I say that? No. I said, man, I have got my priorities all screwed up. Who gives a rip? I'd go back and give my doctorate up right now for her not to have had that happen and to feel that way in that moment that she felt about me. Where were you? Availability gives a sense of importance. Sarah, my old, my middle daughter, when she was uh, three years old, she was just a talker. You know, do you, any of y'all have a, a kid that's a talker? I mean, just, and I mean, just talk and talk and talk. And um, I mean, one time I remember she's just talking and you know, I mean, she could just keep going. She didn't even like catch her breath. I don't know how she did it. It's amazing, like a little trick, you know? And one time Laura goes, Sarah, would you go in the other room and talk for a while? And I'm looking at Laura and Sarah, she had, I guess she had gotten used to telling her that during the day because Sarah went off in the other room and I heard her go, <laughs> she's the only one in the room. She just kept talking. But I remember she's talking to me one time and you know, this is way back. Everything's internet's new and all that kind of stuff. And it, when she'll like, <laughs> you know, it makes all the, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm waiting for something to load, you know, and Sarah's talking to me. And she said, daddy, listen. And I said, I'm listening. I'm listening. Daddy, listen. And then all of a sudden, these pudgy little three-year-old hands, you know, that are all like screwed on and stuff. I love those hands when I see them in my mind, you know? And she grabs my face and she turns, she goes, listen with your eyes. <laughs> That's pretty good actually, isn't it? Have you listened with your eyes to your kids lately? Yeah, I got you. I hear you. 37.7 seconds worth. Gotcha. Okay, your time's up. Listen with your eyes. It's not the Disneyland moments they're going to remember as much as those consistent small moments. My dad passed in March of last year. What I remember about him, all kinds of stuff. He was an amazing pastor. Some of you got to hear him. He was a minister for 58 years or something. Here's the thing. What I remember about him, I remember being five, six years old in Hot Springs, Arkansas, in the backyard, and he's throwing the baseball up over the, the, the wires. We had all those, you know, electric wires. You wondered why all the shooks are, like, have mental problems today. We had electric wires running through the backyard. And we played this game where if the ball went over the one wire, the lowest one, it was a single if you missed it, you know. Second one, it was a double. And there's a home run at the top, you know. It was called the boogers versus the snuggers. I thought it was a real game. Dad made it up, boogers versus the snuggers. You know, I went to school one day and said, hey, you guys wanna play boogers and snuggers? No, you know, but I'll remember that forever. He was a busy man. He'd worked like 60 hours plus a week at these little churches, but he always took time. I mean, he came home before it got dark. and took us out in the backyard because he knew we'd been waiting all day with our gloves and we played boogers and snuggers. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said, and do not hinder them. When was the last time you sat down eyeball to eyeball, looked your kid in the eye, not on the run, and you said, if I had to do it all over again, if I was the one that got to choose the kid that I had, I would have chosen you. If I had a choice of any kid in the world, I would still choose you. Number six, accountability. I told you that relationship is so important, but relationship minus rules equals irresponsibility. Rules without relationship is rebellion But relationship without rules is irresponsibility. You have to discipline. God disciplines us. If God never disciplines you, you're not one of his kids. You know that? Well, God never messes with me. Well, you need to go back and kind of check on things, right? See if you've ever started this journey with him. Never discipline, never discipline, never discipline in anger. Never. That's punishment. Punishment and discipline aren't the same things. We can talk more about that on Wednesday night if some of you have questions about that. Don't have time right now. One of the the coolest things I think as your kids get older is write a contract with them. I've seen it work so often, even with really troubled kids. Let's sit down together and we'll write a contract about what this is gonna look like, you know, for you to live in our home, basically. You know, the counselors can help you with that. They're really good at that. But for some of you, you'd be amazed at how how much your kid, I mean, your kid makes it way tougher than you would have made it. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have never put that down, you know. But, and then natural consequences, let them work out. See, some of you, you just are always trying to impose these unnatural kind of consequences. It's really hard on you, just like, like, you want your kid to have a job and they have, you're letting them use a car, but there's no gas in the car. Just let there be no gas in the car. You know, when you get a job, you can put gas in the car. That's a natural consequence, right? Some of you, though, you're giving them money. A kid won't get a job. Oh, here's some money. You see what I'm saying? So let's just yell at them because here, here's some money. Go put gas in the car. I don't think I'll get a job. Natural consequences. Same thing, ladies, you're so upset they won't pick their clothes up off the floor of their room. Just keep the door shut. Now, if you say, no, it just bothers me too much, then it's your problem. Go pick the clothes up off the floor, okay? But if not, just leave them in there. And you'll be amazed when they don't have any more clothes to wear to school. You say, I don't know. Go look to those wrinkled clothes on the floor. Put one of those on. That's going to be amazing today. How quickly they start to change some of that stuff. But it's important that we discipline. We can talk about that. On Wednesday night, if you want accountability gives a sense of responsibility. Each of us shall give an account of himself, herself to God. Let me just close. I, I, there's a post that's going around right now uh, in social media by Alex Cravens, and I, I loved it. And it really spoke to me. Let me just close with that. It says this, don't feel sorry for your kids. Don't feel fear for your kids or your grandkids because the world they're going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a a coincidence. It wasn't an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing God is in control. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. Every person in all of history has been placed in exactly that time and that place because they were in God's sovereign plan because God is sovereign. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle the wicked Haman and that wicked king. He knew Peter and Paul could handle persecution. And he knows that your child can handle whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for it. Don't be scared for your children. Be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. Raise Daniels, raise David's, raise Esther's, raise Paul's and Peter's. God isn't scratching his head, wondering what he's gonna do with this mess of a world. He has an army he's raising up to drive back the darkness and make himself known all over the earth. Don't let your fear steal the greatness God placed in your children. Did you hear that? Don't let your fear steal the greatness that God has placed in your children. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies. We just want to protect them from anything that could ever be hard on them. But they were born for such a time as this. Mm. And pray, pray, pray. Prayer comes first, always. Because prayer is the work. All of these tools, they'll work but pray for your kids. Laura wrote a little book a few years back, a couple years ago called Prayers for My Children. And you know what it is? It's just biblical prayers for our kids. When you pray the Bible, you know you're praying God's will for them, right? And it's just taking Bible verses and turning them into prayers, Bible promises and turning them into prayers for your children and for your grandchildren. And Laura is making that available To you for free on Amazon if you do the Kindle thing, okay, for the next five days. Amazon would only do it five days. I don't know what the deal is, but it's free. You can go there and download it to your Kindle and keep it forever. It's free. I want to encourage you to do it, okay? If you're at home online, do it. It's free. There's no cost. You can keep it in your library forever. Prayers for My Children by Laura Shook. Get that. You'll see it there on the in the, the in the Kindle app and on Amazon. Grab that. I want to pray for you right now. Okay. So important, Father. Crazy times we're in. Most of us as adults, we don't know how to make heads or tails of it right now. Can't figure out what's coming. But you know, it didn't catch you by surprise. We don't know if you're wrapping it all up and this is the end of time or maybe it's just the end of America or maybe it's just a new beginning. We don't know. We have no idea. But we know that you enabled us. You let us live in this moment. I know a lot of us, we just sitting there going, God, I'm tired of living through unprecedented moments in history. We need to just stop and thank you for the privilege and thank you that our little children and grandchildren that you brought on the scene at this exact moment for such a time as this. And so, right now, we say, Come. Kingdom of God upon our kids. Some of us are struggling right now. We have adult kids that are so far from you. We have teenagers that are struggling so much. We even have, some of us have have smaller children that are just struggling right now. God, I'm asking for miracles across this place that I know only prayer can do. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I believe that you're gonna hear my prayer for every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room or online, or maybe they're just gonna turn this on sometime in the future and watch it for free on the internet, this is for them. Come kingdom of God, upon our children, be done will of God in our children's lives. Let nothing thwart what you want to do. Begin your miracle even right now. And let us be able to look back and say, I remember early in the year when Mark prayed and I agreed, this is when the turnaround started.